Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I have in the studio with me the Chief Executive of Tainui Group Holdings. I'd like to welcome Chris Joblin. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thank you. It's all right. Thanks um, Thanks for coming through. Um, first thing I want to know is how does a kid from Gisborne end up becoming the Chief Executive of Tainui? How did it all come about? Yeah, for me, you know, basically grew up in Gisborne, you know, normal sort of um, family upbringing. And I guess where I've got to where I am is, you know, I've taken opportunities along the way. So I spent, you know, a lot of time, I guess, in my background's in, in finance. So yep. went to university, studied accounting and finance, started being an accountant. Um but what I did along the way is rather than you know focusing on on doing you know accounting you know financial stuff, I, I sort of branched off more into the commercial side of things and, and right. how how you basically make money and yep and you know what that's enabled me to do is is to really grow and move beyond finance and into into where I am now as as a chief executive. Yeah, because you did some work in the UK. Yeah, I did. Um, I spent nearly six years uh, out of New Zealand, and and in that uh, worked for a company called Pendragon PLC, um, right. which largest uh, retailer of, of cars in, in the UK and a, a bit through Europe and and North America. So, you know, as a as a Kiwi lad, um, you know, in the UK, it presented huge opportunities. You know, s- yeah. Working in a, in a big corporate, but also where there was opportunities to really grow. So, what what it enabled me to do was to take opportunities along the way and and really develop. And yeah, I learned learned quite a few things along the way. But the most important was to to make sure that you take opportunities. And sometimes those opportunities come in the in the least um, expected ways. And can you give me an example? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I did, I worked a lot with um, businesses that weren't going so well, right? And and helping, you know, tidying them up and starting from a financial perspective, and then moving into the more sort of corporate and commercial things. Um, yeah, you know, so working with those businesses, quite often, you know, they were in places or, you know, were were in a state that people didn't really want to want to work um, or didn't want to take on those challenges, if yeah. you like. Um, but I was prepared to do that. And, and each time I did that, I grew in terms of my skills, my knowledge, but also, you know, you know your, your experiences. And, and that enables you to, you know, develop your career and certainly gives you, you know, uh, accelerated advancement. Hmm. Was that always the plan? Was it always the plan to go to the UK? And did everything just fall into place or... Were you kind of winging it while you were doing it? Uh, yeah, a bit of both. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I went over there to, to you know, usual sort of Kiwi stuff, play a bit of rugby and, and do a bit of travelling. And, you know, what I pretty quickly worked out is that being, uh, I guess, beholden to, to other people, you know, playing sport and other things is probably not a great place to be. And um, so I went out and... Got my own job and um, at Pendragon and and really cut my own my own path. Yeah, and what made you decide to come back? You didn't want to stay there. Uh, family was oh, yeah. the the reason, which is same for everyone else. So my wife and I were very settled uh, in the UK. We owned our own house. Both had really great jobs, um, but we'd reached the point where we were ready to start a family, and yeah, it was. Pretty much, if we had have stayed in the UK, we would have stayed there forever. Yeah, yeah. So we made that that sort of conscious choice to come back, and yeah, I have to be honest, we were probably a little bit hesitant, yeah, in coming back. Um, but well, why were you out. hesitant? Oh, just yeah. Again, we were really settled, had yeah. great jobs, great opportunities. Um, so it was coming back a little bit into an unknown. Yeah. Um, but it's all worked out for for the best. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but was it? Did you plan to settle in Waikato, or did you have any plan when you decided to come back? Or yeah, we did have a plan. 
my wife's from, from she grew up in Huntley. Um, so, you know, there was sort of the pull to this this region. You know, originally we were looking at opportunities in, in Tauranga. Oh, yeah. Um, when, when I first come back and got offered uh, a, a job at AFCO and sort of, yeah, the rest is, is history. So I went and worked there for seven odd years and uh, really enjoyed it. So how did did they approach you? Did you approach them? Yeah, I, I just got approached by um, a headhunting firm and, um, yeah, I was really intrigued. You know, obviously you see the things that, that Tiny Group Holdings has, has been doing. Mm. Um, so I was really interested and it just come at a time, you know, having worked for, for AFCO for, you know, for that length of time, I was ready for a change. Yeah. Was there anything... Uh you were not prepared for when you became chief executive there? Um, or did you just, you kind of just settled into the role quite well? Yeah, it's not something I planned for, <laughs> um, to be frank. Um, and, you know, I had the opportunity to do it on, a, on an acting basis and found that I really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, and it suited, you know, my skills mm. and, you know, so, yeah, you know, I put my head in the ring for, for uh, the role permanently and went through a competitive process. And, yeah, uh, thankfully, I was the, the candidate that the board chose to, to lead the company forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, because obviously you guys have a lot of things in the works, obviously a few things that have been um, announced within the last few weeks. But uh, obviously the inland port is a massive one. Yeah. How much how much time and planning has gone into that? Like when was when was the original pitch for that? Yeah, um, uh, yeah, it's been over 10 years in the making. Oh, wow. Okay, so a long time. Yeah, a long time to go through what was initially the, the regulatory pieces. So, yep. you know, getting the land appropriately zoned and, and brought into the city. And how, long then, does, how long does that take? Oh, that took years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty complicated <laughs> yeah, and yeah. convoluted process. Um, but, you know, went through all that uh, and then more recently... Uh, sort of five, six years ago, we went through the Board of Inquiry or um, basically calling it in as a, a project of national significance. So that was done to give us regulatory certainty right. around what we could develop. Okay. At and more recently, you know, you sort of start at a high level and you narrow in and, and where we are now, we, we recently... Uh, last week announced bringing in Port of Tauranga as a partner uh, for the actual inland port itself. And now that the Waikato Expressway, now that there's certainty around when that's going to open, um, late 21, early 2022, um, yeah, we can really push and accelerate our, our development plans. Yeah, so what what is that exactly? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that still don't actually know exactly what it is. I've had a few people on the show who live here and they still don't know what it is. Yeah, so at its heart, Ruakura is a 480 hectare piece of whenua that sits in land that sits just to the east of the city by the university. And, and in that land, um, you've got two key pieces of infrastructure. One is the Waikato Expressway that's being built. Uh, and secondly, you've got the east, most, east Coast Main Trunk Line for rail. And when you think about the nexus of effectively State Highway 1 and you know, the, the main rail, rail corridor, you know, it, it just screams logistics and, and industrial you know, development. Um, so you know, that's really at its heart. You've got an inland port that will sit there, and I'll, I'll come back to what that is. And then the surrounding land used for things like distribution centres and you know light industrial activity, but it's it's really about moving freight, you know, containers, and and how people get their goods from port uh, to customer and from exporters to the port and ultimately to their customers overseas. So the inland port itself. It's a pretty simple sort of um, business. What you're doing is you're taking containers from exporters uh, you know, in the region and in the North Island, putting them onto rail, 
and then railing those containers to the port, and for importers, railing full containers back into the inland port, and then it goes to a distribution centre, gets unloaded, and might have TVs, jeans, food, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And then you take that empty container and you send it next door to the exporter, and then they put their goods in it, goes back on the train back to the port. Um, So in doing that, there's a couple of key things that that makes this huge for the region and huge for the country is at the moment most of our imports come into Auckland uh, Mm. imported goods come into Auckland and most of our exported goods come out of or go out of Tauranga so if you think about goods come in a container gets emptied that container then has to get to the exporters to get filled up again right and the further that the import supply chain, i.e. where the importers are from the, the exporters, the more cost. So if you can put the importers and the exporters together, facilitated by an inland port, you just lower the cost for everyone, makes it hugely more efficient. And it's also you know great from a sustainability environmental point of view so the likes that are could will bring 65,000 truck movements off the road a mm. year so what would be the point then of having something like the port of Auckland move to um, what was it uh, up near Whangarei way yeah to north port yeah um, ultimately any any change in in port location for Auckland you know, whilst the, you know there's a, a political process that's that's being driven or, or considered, ultimately the the cargo owners will decide which port they use. Right. They own the cargo. They'll decide which which port they they use, and and ultimately they will come down to cost. Mm. Yeah. You know, so they'll look at what's the most efficient way for them to access their customers overseas, and then they will they will make their choice. What Ruakura does is it facilitates that for them. So you know whether it where that freight goes, um, you know that ultimately is decided by the customer. Yeah. Um, but in our region, the the bulk of it is going to Port of Tauranga already. So, in regards to the collaboration with them, mm-hmm. was that a long time coming? Like, how much discussion did you have with them? Are they managing it like? How much are they managing it and how much are you managing it? Or is it like a 50-50 split? Yeah, it's a 50-50 joint venture yeah. um, where we will build and, and develop and own the, the inland port together. I guess, you know, Port of Tauranga, we've been working with them around various things for, for quite some time. And and over that, that sort of time that we've been talking with them where we started initially around how we access their, their, their trains and um, so on, it became really obvious that there was a real strategic advantage in us working together. And mm. so as we, we started to explore those things, you know, it, it just came from, from there. You know, it was just obvious to both of us that we had really good alignment of values, that strategically we wanted the same things. Um, in terms of how we envisage the supply chain working, you know, the customers that we were talking to were also working with Port of Tauranga, so there was good alignment there. So it just just made really good sense, and you know, dealing with the the team there, they're very good to deal with. Um, you know, there's just you know a good camaraderie, and and um, yeah, it is all just naturally. Yeah, fell into place. So how long will this actually take to finish, to build the entire port? So the first stage of the port, it'll take about 18 months to build. Okay. Um, and, and the reason for that, you you don't really develop the stuff over winter. So you do it over summer when oh, it's dry. right. Okay. Um, and the other thing is, it's all, it's all prefaced on opening at the same time as the Waikato Expressway. Um, because you're going to want to access those road networks. Okay. You know. So that's why it was originally delayed. Correct. Is that because of the expressway being yep. delayed? So the expressway was delayed two years, yep. roughly. Um, so what we've had to do is slow down our development uh, program because no one wants to have an inland port and um, 
you know, distribution centres that don't have access to, to road. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think people in the community have probably been wondering what we've been doing. Yeah. Um, and really that has been driven by the timing of the road. Um, so, again, our development programme has always been prefaced on opening up, you know, at a similar time to the Waikato Expressway. Mm. And do you work in conjunction with the airport and NZTA and even the government? Like, how much talks have you had with yeah, all those guys? Yeah, lots. Because um, I suppose it's you're having to work with so many different partners on this. Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, yeah, we talk a, a lot, you know, with central government around the Hamilton to Auckland corridor. Mm. Yeah, and I guess the role that Rukura plays in, in that. Um, we also talk with NZTA around roads and, and, and what have you. So one of the big things with Ruakura is it, it's you know of such size and scale and, and importance to the supply chain you know, in New Zealand. You know, there's just real acceptance from from all those parties you know, around getting this thing going and and you know, it's going to drive you know, huge economic benefits for our region and, and for our country. Yeah, well, it's one of the biggest infrastructure projects in the history of New Zealand, isn't it? Yeah, I can't think of any any uh, industrial logistics, you know, developments of that size and scale, mm. 480 hectares. Because I saw on the website, because obviously there's the port side of it, and then you've got like a housing, obviously, and like an yep. education, is it, what is it, like an education Campus, yeah, because you've got the the university nearby, and, yeah, and yeah. obviously the ag research campus. So it's all designed to um, facilitate, you know, those those uses that are already there as well. Yeah, um, yeah, protect and enhance those. Mm. So in regards to the base, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of stories about this, um, but is are you guys finished in terms of everything that's there, or is there plans for? other developments there. I mean, there's a big pot of green land that really just becomes a car park during Boxing Day. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure I read somewhere that, it, uh, I think it was the Kiwi Property CEO about some line of restaurants or something going near there. Yeah. Um, great question. Yeah, we're always looking to, to develop in, in advance. So, no, the base is not finished. Okay. Yeah, it will continue to grow. And... Yeah, we're focused on how we build greater amenity value. So what you're likely to see there is not necessarily a huge extension of shops, but bring in other things like you know, office, you know, community, you know, the connection with the, the rail platform that's currently being oh, built. Right. So are you looking to see how successful that rail is first before you implement anything? No, um, it's all. I think rail is going to be successful. You do think it's going to be successful? Yep, I think it's going to be successful. And I think, you know, this initial startup s- service will, I think, you know, r- quickly move, or maybe not quickly, but it'll move into a fast rail connection between Hamilton and Auckland. Right. I think that is inevitable. And, yeah, I think really important. Yeah, in in terms of the infrastructure of the the upper North Island, I agree. I agree. I um I heard, and I don't know if this is true, so you can nip this rumor in the bud. Um, that part of the reason you guys hadn't built anything is because uh, the council had implemented some type of bylaw to stop you guys from building there. Is that true? Um, there was um some some changes some time ago. It was probably eight odd years ago where. Yeah, there was a plan to restrict, um, not just us, but restrict retail and office development outside of the CBD. Um, that got uh, overturned. Um, oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, when was so, that? Uh, yeah, it was about eight years ago. <laughs> um, so, you know, for us, you know, we've, we're consented at the base, so we can fully develop out the site. Yeah. And, you know, what that, Basically means is you know up to ten thousand square meters of office and a bunch of retail and and you can see also surrounding there once you put a rail platform in people are going to want to live there yeah and the the adjoining area as well isn't that mostly um, industrial 
area though? All that, all uh, you've there? got Rotokauri, you know, the subdivision out the, the oh, yes, back of the base to yeah, the yeah. west. That, well, they're already developing that. Huh? Oh, you guys are helping Yeah, we're develop. developing that yeah, yeah. Um, with, with other people as well in, the, in that vicinity. So you're going to see a big population base out there. And if, if you can catch a train to Auckland in under an hour, um, you're going to want to live there and people are going to live in Hamilton and they're going to work in Auckland. Because mm. I've had obviously numerous politicians on here, Labour and National, and you know they both have their views on how successful rail will be. But have you spoken to both parties in regards to where you want this to go? Oh, we're really positive and big on rail. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we talk to anyone that will will listen. <laughs> uh, yeah, on that front. Um, but yeah, our big push and and um, position is. You got to get fast rail. Yeah, it's got to be under an hour to downtown Auckland. Yeah, and if you can do that, it's transformational. Yeah, you know, I agree. I think not that's... just for Hamilton, but for Auckland as well. Yeah, because I think there's a huge, um, you know, influx of people that are in Auckland, and it's putting major pressure on the infrastructure as well. Yeah, yeah, and because oh, you probably imagine, um, you probably know from living in the UK, but there's a lot of com- people that commute from outside. The main mm. cities into the main cities for work, yep. but it's a bit more difficult to do in Auckland because you don't have a a reliable um, public transport system. Well, compared to overseas, anyway. Yeah, and that's where, as a country, we need to be investing in that yeah. that level of infrastructure, and it only gets more expensive to put in. Yeah. You know, so the cheapest time to do it is now. Was it jarring for you when you came back from the UK and having to go from their public transport to ours? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like most Kiwis, you know, if you, you know, if you travel overseas into Europe or, or North America and you use the wonderful public transport systems that they have and you come back home and you just think, why haven't we got it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, small population base has been used as an excuse. Yeah, but, I've heard National MP say that. Yeah, you've got nearly 2 million people now living in Auckland. Um and in our region, yeah, in, in our lifetimes, there'll be over a million people living in the Waikato. So, yeah, this is this is coming, yeah, and and we just need to get ahead of it. So, have you made suggestions to the central government? Have you put yep. in your ten cents yeah, and be we, like, you need to do this? Yeah, the thing that we like is what's called a pandolino train, which so what's is that exactly. It's basically a train that leans when it goes around the corners. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so then you don't have to spend huge money, you know, upgrading tracks and so on. You know, it can utilise a lot of what's already there. Mm. So lower the cost, but you'll be in Auckland in an hour, hour and a half, depending on how many places it stops. I think Jamie Strange, when he was on here, he mentioned that you'd have to build a whole new line in order to do that, though. Uh, depending on what kind of train you want to put in. Yeah. Um, so typically high-speed rail networks use a wide gauge, you know, wide gauge tracks and New Zealand's narrow gauge tracks. But with the Pandolino train, you can use the narrow gauge track and you, know, you get up to about 160, 170 kilometres an hour for a train, which okay. by uh, European and North American standards is not fast. Um, but by New Zealand standards, that's almost light speed. Well, yeah. I mean, if you can get to a point where you can get from an hour from Hamilton to Auckland, I think that that is a game changer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But wouldn't there be a huge um, influx of people moving here? <laughs> yeah, you're going to get people that, that move here, but that's happening anyway. Yeah, it is. I think the 40 people move here a week, I think. I think that's yeah, a number there's... that council said to me. I think, yeah. Yeah, there's there's huge number of people moving to the region and this is happening whether we like it or not. Mm. You know, the challenge for us is how do we embrace it and get ahead of the growth that's coming so that we don't end up like Auckland. You know, yeah. That's, that's you know, where we need to be thinking is making the investments now so that we can still enjoy the lifestyle that we have, you know, with the higher population base. yeah. Now, you guys are um, obviously ex- extending your hotel currently. Yeah. Um, is there plans to build another one? I think you mentioned it at, at some point at one of the Grow Waikato events maybe, mm. that potentially in the future. Because um, Jason Dawson was on here and he was saying that 
a lot of conventions, um, business people hold conferences here, but a lot of the times they have that they end up having to push people away because there's not enough hotel yeah. space. Yep. Um, yeah, we're just building and, and finishing a 40-room extension on the Novotel locally and in Hamilton, and we're also jointly with Auckland Airport building a 311-room Pullman hotel called Te Ariki Nui um, in, at Auckland Airport uh, next to the Novotel there. Um, so, yeah, hotels is a big part of what we do. And, yes, we would um, like to build another hotel in Hamilton at some point in time. Uh, we just don't think that the market is big enough yet uh, really? to do that. How, how big does the market have to be? So I'll give you an example. You know, you've got, um, so Jason, you know, talked about uh, some of the conferences that we don't get. Yeah. So if you have a 500-person conference and they stay in the city for two nights, you know, that's a 1,000 room nights. Yeah. And we might be missing out on three or four of those conferences a year. Right. Um, and then, you know, the city's full when we have, you know, field days and, yep. and rugby. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So we go and build a, another Novotel-sized hotel in the city, 206 rooms. You know, that's, you know, nearly 70,000 room nights. So these conferences will fill five or 6,000 room nights a year. Where does the other, you know, 60-odd thousand room nights get filled from? Right. And that's the challenge, you know. So you can't build these things, you know, for a supply that's going to happen, you know, two weeks a year. Um, you've still got to, to fill the hotel in the intervening period outside of events, and that's where the economics, you know, don't stack up. Mm. But it will come. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's... Um, yeah, as the city grows and we get more um, office and corporate into the CBD, you know, and, and tourism as well, you know, all those things facilitate the development of another hotel. Yeah, and I suppose you're kind of competing with Airbnbs at the same time, aren't you? Um, not so much for, for our hotels. You know, it's more, you know, our customers are more corporate you know, yeah. and, and government travellers. Um Small amount come from from offshore, but it's it's largely you know people doing business you know, in our region. Okay. Now, in regards to uh, members of Tainui, mm-hmm. so what's what's the value of because you have what seventy eight thousand members? Yeah. Yeah. So what's the value of being a member? What are the what are the great things about being a member of um, Tainui? Yeah, that's it's the connectivity. Yeah, it is. You know, all about Papa and, and connection. Mm. You know, the um, yeah, the, all those you know cultural links. You know, is the most important. You know, so whilst you know my role is to lead the commercial part of Waikato Tainui, yeah, the most important is is the cultural and and tikanga and and so on. Yeah. You know, that, that basically, you know, our role is, you know, in a small way to support that. Um, but for us, you know, we take our, our role really seriously and what we yeah. do for for our iwi. Um, and, and how I describe it to people is, you know, our focus is to be relevant to our owners and, and to our community and how we be relevant is not necessarily about you know, how much money we make. You know, it's the little things that we do around helping people find employment, um, housing. You know, um, we, we have a scheme called Pātakakai where we distribute you know, food off our farms and so on to, to Marae. You know, it's the little things that, that become really important. How come these things you don't really see in the media though? Like. Like the, the, nobody seems to know like about this stuff, like what you guys do for the community. Yeah, I think there's a, there's an element where we probably don't share as much of yeah. what we do, and you know, TGH you know has a huge role in the community. You know, we employ directly or indirectly just over four thousand people. Yeah, you know, the businesses that we own. Um, 
and um, work with, you know, they're spending nearly half a billion dollars a year in our community. And, you know, that goes unknown or unnoticed. But, you know, this is the role that and, and the benefits of having, you know, a, a large Iwi corporate domiciled in our region is, you know, the benefits of that investment flow to everyone. Yeah. So how does one become a member? Because you can be part of Tainoi but not necessarily be a member, correct? So if you're Waikato Tainoi, it's all about whakapapa. You know, it's about genealogical links. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're, you're born yeah, in, into the iwi. Hmm. But there's there's some people that don't even know that they can become a member. Um, yep. Yeah. So how how would they go about finding out? Yeah. So if you you know if you're interested in, in understanding your whakapapa and how that links back to Waikato Tainui, um, you've got um, the the tribe basically has, has a team of people that work through that and and will help you um, look at your your whakapapa and and how that links into Waikato Tainui and your marae and and so forth. So, so there's somebody that would actually know within um, probably the families of these people. That yeah, would, that's right. Yeah? Yep. Okay. Or well, they could contact their marae or... or yeah, anything. that's right. And um, basically register you know, as, a, as a tribal member. Right. Okay. So it's as simple as that. Yep. And encourage anyone that has whakapapa links back to Waikato Tainui to do that. Because I've talked to a few, already. I've talked to a few Māori people and they, they didn't know really anything about it, which I found interesting mm. um okay but so in terms of you know, in terms of uh how it's money and all that's distributed back to um the the whakapapa how does that actually work does it go to does it go to the member themselves or does it go to the chief and then it's trickles down like how does that actually all work yeah how, how it works is so we're a, a, a corporate you know commercial company we pay a dividend to to um, effectively the social arm of the tribe, right? And they use that that dividend to fund a bunch of social initiatives, yeah. And that stems biggest being education, you know. So the tribe's supported over ten thousand people into further education, yeah. But education from preschool to to effectively tertiary or university, yeah, and, and all through that spectrum. Yeah, supporting uh, a lot of our komatua, you know, elderly to get, you know, access to, to healthcare. Really basic things that, that help your life, like having dentures and glasses and and so forth. Mm. Um, you know, there's been you know, publicity, you know, over the last 12 months uh, around the, the Makapuna, Makapuna Ora program that the, that the tribe runs around, you know, connecting, you know, people in care back yeah. to their, to their um, whānau, et cetera. So it's the genesis of, of what the tribe does, and, and Donna Flavel, our, our tribal CEO, is probably best to speak to this, but um, it's about a hand... Yeah, it's a it's about a hand up, not a hand out. Yeah, and and that's the philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, in regards to uh, back to the inland port, uh, because I had I had David Bennett on this show, mm -hmm. and he um he seemed to think that you guys would find it difficult finding um people to lease out that area, um. Is, is that the case or no? Like, no. Uh, no. And I, I read somewhere that you guys had spoken to Amazon. Oh, we've spoken to a heap of people. Yeah. Um, yep. So leasing leasing buildings and, and land is, is not an issue. Not an issue? There no. you go, David. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. The biggest issue with Rukura, I think, is it's going to be too small. Really? You think yep. it's going to be too small? Yeah, I mean, when you've got people... Initially you know, or like just over time? Once it's fully developed, yeah. Well, yeah, 480 hectares of land, but when you've got people that want a 100,000 square metre building, yeah, like uh, you think about that, a 10 hectare size building, 
Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't take long for, for you to consume yeah, a big chunk of land. Well, yeah, and I suppose, I mean, what, could you look at more rezoning of other land close I, to Ruakura? I think as a region, you know, we're going to see more and more industrial and logistics activity. Yeah. Um, and whether it's at Ruakura or, or elsewhere, um, you know, that that remains to be seen. But I think as a region, because of where we are in our proximity to Auckland and the rest of the North Island, you're going to see a lot more, a lot more logistics activity in our region. And mm. so you mentioned Amazon, you know, earlier. Um, yeah, one of the big things around the Amazon effect, if you like, is around same day delivery. So if you're a customer, yeah, in America now, they've they've gone firstly to same day delivery, where you order something online and it gets delivered the same day. Yeah. Now to where you know you have. Basically, you order from Amazon and you pretty much get delivered within an hour or two. So that's the progression. So if you're, a, you know, where New Zealand's going to go, firstly, it'll be the same day delivery. So if you're, uh, if you have your distribution activity in Auckland, you can't do same day delivery to the North Island. Yeah, that's true. But you can from Hamilton. And that's that's one of the big step changes that's coming. Is that just because of how the city's been designed and how the rail network is? How our, it's already been implemented? Our geographical proximity. Yeah, to everywhere. Yep. Well, not everywhere, but majority of the North Island. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, you can send a truck from Hamilton or train. Yeah. And you can, um, you know, you can get goods to people same day. So, you know, that's the people that we talk to, you know, they're not thinking about the supply chain of today, you know, how you get things, you know, to and from, you know, manufacturing and, and port to, to customer, they're looking at what those global trends are and where they need to be, mm. you know, in the future. So you can't just think about what you see today. you got to look and, and look at what it is going to be different going forward. And as I say, same-day delivery is, is a trend that is going to come because... Yeah, if you can't do same day delivery, how do you compete? Yeah, you know, with the the big online retailers. Yeah, I agree. Are you for drones sending parcels or taking parcels to people? Yeah, I haven't seen that personally, <laughs> so I'm not sure how that'll work. Oh well, yeah, I, I think it would make too much noise. So that's why I thought uh, I'd ask, and then you run the risk of if it falls out of the sky, you could potentially hurt someone. So yeah, because I, I think I've read somewhere that Amazon were looking at that, but I don't know how logistically possible that is yeah they've trialed it yeah uh, i know that um how successful i'm not sure but yeah amazon yeah trying lots of different things you know one of the things that um had the opportunity to do last year was see their the trial sort of supermarket yeah um where there's no checkout oh did you go to the states and see yeah. This? yeah yeah so basically you pick something up off the shelf and it it basically knows that you've bought it, right. so you don't go to a checkout. It just all flows through. And, you know, when you start to think about things like that, you know, there's some pretty cool stuff coming. Ah, okay, that's interesting. So did you did you speak to Amazon directly, or did they come to you? Like, a lot of these these businesses, do you approach them, or do they approach you? Is it a bit of both? It's a bit of both, yeah. Yeah? Mm. So how do, you, how do you pitch it to them? How do you, like, wow, we're building this, this port? Yeah, I mean, we talk to what the, what the attributes are of Ruakura and you know why it's important for them to be there. You yeah. know what it what it means for them, um, and ultimately the you know the the key things for for our customers it's around uh, firstly supply chain risk. Yeah, yeah. You know, so people, so you, you know you had the Rena disaster. You've had a couple of earthquakes. Yeah, people are looking at. How do they ensure that they can get their goods to and from market? Yeah. Um, and what happens if there's a disruption to the supply chain, you know, to, to a port or a rail link, etc.? So that's top of people's minds. Um, also, we talked about same day delivery, but also for exporters, it's access to empty containers. So you've got, you know, the situation now where if you're an exporter in, in our region, 
you send a truck up to Auckland, or Tower, typically, and that truck goes and picks up an empty container, yep. brings it back to Hamilton, that container gets loaded with goods, you know, milk powder, meat, etc., and then goes back to the port. So, you know, you think about as a country the inefficiency of moving around all those empty containers by road. Yeah. Yeah, and that the cost of that, you know, is, is roughly a billion dollars a year. So if you can have a full container coming into one location and a full container going out, the country as a whole, you know, it will save, you know, a billion-odd dollars. Rather than just getting trucks off... Off, well, getting trucks off the road, I suppose, is one of the main things. Yeah, well, the, basically, you're you're moving goods, you know, whether it be by road or rail, that are full, you know, rather than shipping air. You guys seem to be very ahead of the curve. Like you guys seem to be thinking like thirty to fifty years ahead. Yeah, I don't think it's thirty to fifty years, but we do think that far advance, uh, that far in advance. But the things you know that we see, you know, this stuff is is going to be in five years, not fifty. Oh, really? That soon? Yeah, this stuff is coming quickly. Okay. You know, it's coming quicker than than people look. You know, great example. You know, I'm old enough to, you know, the point where, yeah, cell phone, these didn't exist. You yeah. Know, when I was at school and university, um, yet now, you know. Kids are growing up with them, even, you know, the modern devices. Yeah. You know, what, the seven, eight years? Yeah. Well, at, I suppose technology's evolving very, very fast. So that, that pace of change, you know, is, is huge, and, and it's going to continue. Yeah. That's interesting stuff. So where, where do you see Hamilton in the future? What, what would you like to see in terms of Hamilton, I suppose the CBD as well? Yeah, firstly, I think Hamilton is, is going to go through a massive renaissance and the, the Waikato region as a whole. I think our moment is yet to come, but it's coming really quickly. When do you think that moment will be? It's already started. Um, so I think as a region, we're going to go through exponential growth. Okay. Yeah. And... You think about a, a city in, in terms of growing up in size and scale, it means that not only economically do you grow, but off the back of that you can grow socially and culturally as well. Yeah. Um, so that's really important because scale gives you gives you those things. I think just the, the growth in New Zealand is all going to occur in the golden triangle between Hamilton, Auckland, Tauranga. Yeah, and there's studies that, that have come out recently that point to nearly 70% of the country's population will reside in that area. That's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So even today, you know, the only cities in, in New Zealand that are really growing is Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga and Queenstown. Pretty much everywhere else is, is in either stagnant or in decline. You know. Yeah, really? Even Wellington? Yep. You know, so you've got this massive shift of of population and and economic activity that's coming into the region. So our big challenge is how do we embrace it and how do we um, ensure that we maximise that opportunity that's coming but not give away what makes Hamilton the Waikato uniquely uh, Hamilton and and the Waikato. So that's the challenge, you know, for us um, because this is coming whether we like it or not. Mm. So we we're better off to you know embrace it and direct it in a way that that is going to be really positive. In terms of future developments, though, I suppose what you'll have more developments going going to happen in the CBD. Yeah. So the Hamilton CBD, again, you know, we we announced um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, the the ACC, ACC development. Yep. So yeah, you know, brings in you know six hundred and fifty odd people into the CBD. Um, eight and a half thousand square metre building which will be one of the largest if not the largest in, in the CBD um, so that kind of stuff again you know, people are, are making conscious choices to be in Hamilton to be in the region so that, again you know, this is going to see the CBD grow and develop because the more people that you have living and working in the CBD, the more vibrant it's going to be. It's more viable, I suppose, to have business there. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, but you you create that vibrancy, and it, it all it becomes self fulfilling and feeds off it off itself. Yeah. So one of the things that we see as the largest landowner in the CBD is, you know, we want to see more people in the CBD, more people working there, more people living there. Um, and once you do that, you can start looking at things like metro urban rail. So how do we set up rail networks from you know, Hamilton? So you could live in Te Araha or Tikiwiti and catch the train into work in Hamilton. Yeah. Morrinsville, Cambridge, you know, rather than jumping in your car you know, and driving in or living in Hamilton, giving people a choice. Um, these are things that are coming and that, that we need to push um, as, as a region and a, and a community. Um, and, you know, really, you know, focusing that development and, and getting the critical mass in one place. And then that enables you to put that big infrastructure in place. So would you want like a, a, a train station in the central CBD? So one of the things that, that I've been reasonably vocal on, we've got an underground railway station already in the city centre. Yeah, it goes underneath centre place, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's nuts that we don't use it. Yeah. yeah sure, there, there might be a bit of work to, to do to get it up and going, but you know, pre-Britomart, we had the only underground railway station in the country and it was mothballed. So, you know, we've got that infrastructure already there. We've just got to use it. So have you spoken to anyone about how much it would cost to do all that up? Yeah, you know, it's more uh, a Hamilton City and, and um, central government issue around yeah. how that would be funded to do up. But um, I don't think the, the cost is insurmountable. Um, so it wouldn't cost as much as you know what they're doing with Brita Mart and all that with the city rail. No, no way near that cost. Okay. I mean, it's billions. You know, you know, you're talking nothing like that to <laughs> yeah. put something in place here. But again, you think about how transformational that'll be. You know, having you know that uh, a rail network back out into the region, rail connectivity to Auckland, and a bunch of you know opportunities for employment in the CBD. Yeah, that'd be massive. Oh, yeah, it would. Definitely agree. And it's right by the bus network as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And this, this is coming. Yeah, I think already you're seeing a lot of people that are considering moving out of Auckland, you know, for all sorts of reasons. But, you know, a big one is the welfare of their, their people. Yeah. Uh, their workforce. Yeah, you know, so people are making those conscious choices to look, you know, to, to put their people or bring their people to a region like ours, you know, where they can have a, a much better lifestyle. Yeah. Do you get approached by a lot of businesses in Auckland in yeah. terms of them? Yeah, we get approached here? regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, you know, you look at, I'm sure you know people that have come out of Auckland to, to live in Hamilton. Yeah. They love it. They never go back. Yeah, we're, we're uh, one of the best-kept secrets, you know, how great it is to live in, in, in Hamilton in this region. Yeah, well, there's still a bit of a negative stigma, unfortunately, yeah. against the city, so I think that's slowly going away, though. Yeah, it's definitely going away, you know, definitely, you know, Hamilton, the Tron, you know, is going to be the city of the future. Yeah, and you, you've obviously got some work that you're doing in Auckland as well, you've got a hotel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there what? Is there any plans to expand on that, or do you want to expand into Auckland more? Yeah, well, you know, Auckland is is a big part of our business as well. Yeah, South Auckland, um, and we'll continue to do to do more development there. Yeah. Anything you want to give away? Uh, not today, <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we you'll definitely see us doing more stuff in South Auckland. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you work with so many different parties. Would you would you ever get into politics? You seem to work with a lot of politicians, or you've spoken to a lot of politicians. Yeah, no, it's not something I've thought <laughs> no, about. No, no interest. <laughs> not really, no. <laughs> no, I enjoy what I do. Um, yeah, and and I'm really just focused on, you know, um, making the most of you know the opportunities for for our iwi and and for our region. Yeah. Is there any um, developments um, that you're looking to in other parts of the Waikato, though, or even the Bay of Plenty? Yeah, we're typically focused on you know between you know the Hamilton to Auckland corridor. Yeah, yeah, you know, this is where we see the strategic growth 
coming and where we have you know, a reasonable sized land estate. Um, so yeah, our focus is in developing that from a property development point of view. Um, but we also you know, own you know, a bunch of farms, you know, fishing quota, forests, um, own, own a, you know, a few businesses, hotels, um, and, and a bunch of shares as well. So, you know, things that people probably don't know about us is we invest in in private equity, which owns things like my food bag. You know, so we've got you know, a pretty diverse sort of range of interests, but from a property development point of view, we're, we're focused on Hamilton to Auckland. So how did the, the partnership with ACC happen? Did they approach you? Did you um, speak to them? Because they're, they're, they're currently scattered yeah. all over, aren't they? Yeah, so ACC went to market with uh, uh, basically an RFP, uh, which we've responded to and um, yeah, on the back of wider partnership as well. Yeah. We've gone through a competitive process and come out on top. Right. Were you? Was it always a plan to build something uh, where the building will be, though? Yep. Yeah. That was always going to be the case. Yep. So if it wasn't ACC, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been someone else. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's so so interesting. Okay. Cool. Um, well, hey, I think I might wrap up there. This has been a great chat. Yeah, it's been really enjoyable, and yeah, you know, big thing for us. Always happy to share what we're up to. And yeah, so if anyone wants to get a hold of you guys, where's the? Um... Yeah, best ways through through our website. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can contact us you know, via there. Yeah, and what's and what's the website? Uh, www.tgh.co.nz. Okay, and you have social media as well, such as Facebook? Yeah, we've got Facebook and, and so forth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, mainly Facebook is, is where, we, where we focus, yeah. Yeah, so if anyone wants to keep up to date with future developments. Yeah, everything's on Facebook. Everything's yeah. on Facebook. Cool. All right. Well, um, thanks a lot, Chris. Um, That's the show, everyone. Uh, Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until uh, next time, stay safe. 